is the NT Country and the Northern Territory. Good afternoon. Welcome back to the Country Hour. My name is Hugo Ricard Bell, and I'll be taking you through to 1.30. So thanks for joining me for your lunch break. It's a bit cloudy this Friday, Arvo, in the centre today, the 28th of January. Doesn't matter, though, because, as I said, it is Friday, so the skewies will still taste the same at knockoff. We are broadcasting straight out of Alice Springs today. G'day to you if you are streaming this live via Listen app or tuning into the podcast after a busy day. Wherever you are, it's great to have you with me. There is heaps happening in the Territory today. We're going to check in with a truckie stuck in Longreach trying to deliver goods to the NT. I come from Adelaide. We're carting food up to Darwin, so we just have to come the long way because uh, the other road, Stuart Highway, is closed up through Darwin, so coming around the long way, but see how we go. And the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator dropped by 6% this week. The first big drop in some time. So uh, what's happening? So you do the sums there, and if you've dropped, you know, the throughput through sale yards by only 10%, but through meatworks by 40%, you're going to end up with an oversupply situation and a correction in prices. There you go. There's plenty to come on the country hour today. So get that first bite of the pie out of the way and crack your can of cola and we'll get into it, shall we? Well, it's been the big story of the week. The Stuart Highway cut in two. With both rail and road out of action due to the floodwaters in northern South Australia, it led to it's led to severe shortages of fresh food in the Territory. One fruit and veg wholesaler in Alice Springs says he hasn't had any supplies since Saturday last week. And he's hoping he gets some this Sunday. The big question is, though, when will the highway and the railway reopen? Tim Hatfield from the Department of Infrastructure and Transport in South Australia says that's still unclear. Look, unfortunately, it is a bit of a how long is a piece of string, how long this water is going to uh, stay over the road. At the moment, it's still just under a metre is the latest reports we have um, sort of in between uh, Clendambo and Coober So with that amount of water still on the road, unfortunately, we can't get in there to assess it and obviously can't open it up as a result of that. So it is just a waiting game until that water does go down and now people can get in and sort of suss the situation out. So unfortunately, it does still remain closed this morning. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and like you say, it's hard to get in and see, but have you got any ideas of what kind of condition it could be in? What, yeah, what kind of things are you prepared to, to be able to fix? Look, I, I wish we I wish we knew more, but as uh, as I said, with with it's under so much water at the moment, it, uh, it it's just going to be a matter of waiting till that goes back before we can sort of suss it in South Australia over the weekend, sort of have partial washouts on the side because of this type of flooding. Mm-hmm. And again, obviously, once we get in, you know, you can't just open, you know, you can't just have the water go down and then get open again. It's going to take time to sort of get it and suss it out and uh, fix anything up that needs fixing up. So we do ask people to continue with their patience. It's obviously a, it's obviously a bit of a pain. That was Tim Hatfield from the Department of Infrastructure and Transport in South Australia. He was speaking to Eliza Getsky from ABC Alice Springs Breakfast. 
Now, earlier this week, we heard 40-odd road trains had turned around at Glendambo to take a 3,000-kilometre detour through New South Wales and Queensland. Dave Kent from Dennis Transport in Port Lincoln is one of them. But flooding on the Landsborough Highway between Winton and Longreach has meant he's now stuck at Longreach, waiting for water to subside. Been here about three and a half hours because the road's closed due to flood water. Um, we're at Longreach uh, Road to Winton, so yeah, we're stuck here because the flood. But yeah, no, it's all good. Yeah. Uh, where did you originally come from? I come from Adelaide. We're carting food up to Darwin, so we just have to come the long way because uh, the other road, Stuart Highway, is closed up through Darwin. So coming around the long way but see how we go because does your do you would you usually just travel straight kind of almost true north from Adelaide up to Darwin what was the issue you encountered um yeah we usually go up Stewart Highway but that's uh flooded out near Glen Dambo yeah, the water's pretty high up there there's a lot of trucks stuck up there at the moment so we've come the long way around so see how we go but we're trying to get through but feed the masses up in Darwin but yeah we're just stuck here at the moment because the floods um, and so if you can get through to Winton today, which is the, the stop we're kind of waiting at, do you foresee any other weather issues or you reckon you might be able to make it up to Darwin to deliver this food? Yeah, I think we should make it through. long as uh, Winton's all right and um, Cloncurry bypass, I think there was a bit of an issue there, but we should be all right, hopefully, see how we go, but fingers crossed. And uh, is it usual that truckies will get sent, I guess it's a pretty long way around, instead of going straight up around through Queensland, or is this a bit unique? Uh, a bit unique with this weather, but yeah, we're trying our best to get the food up there and see how we go, but good luck to us, I suppose. Yeah. And um, in terms of the food you have, you know, how, many, how, how important is it to get it there quickly? You know, Does it last a while, or is it quite perishable stuff? Um, I'm carting dry goods, so it's pretty good. It'll last a while, but you don't want to in the back too long I suppose stuff will start going wrong with it but yeah hopefully yeah I've been on the road a couple of days now so hopefully two more days I'll get up there and yeah feed the masses. In terms of I guess delays to go the original way how long would you have to wait if you had gone the, the, the Stuart Highway? Uh, Stuart Highway I think it might be a week yet we're not sure that's what it says on the Facebook page and that so yeah this was going to be the shorter route but yeah <laughs> It's the weather. We can't predict the weather, so just got to do what we do. There you go. Dave Kent from Dennis Transport, Port Lincoln. And just a quick PSA, if you do meet a truckie this weekend in the NT, you probably want to get them a beer. That is a heck of a detour. Now, we've been talking all week about the show-stopping floods in Glendambo and South Australia that have pulled up the trucks and trains usually employed to deliver the goods and services to the NT from Adelaide and Victoria. A plan B was put in place, as you've just heard, to send the trucks the long way round through New South Wales and Queensland. But, as we've just heard from Dave, that hasn't exactly gone to plan. I spoke earlier this morning to the CEO of the NT Road Train Association, Louise Bellardo, to find out what the go is been here about three and a half hours. Well, as we speak, uh, I understand that the uh, water between Ilfracombe and Longreach has gone down. There's um, some low-lying uh, areas that were flooded overnight, and so the trucks 
and our Gilberts and ABC trucks that have been doing a sterling job uh, taking the long way around uh, were stuck, but uh, they have been moving. So there's uh, trucks that are coming north and there'll be trucks that will be going uh, towards Tennant and Alice Springs, but certainly small numbers. But we've also got trucks that have been through and across the Barclay that are now having to head back to Adelaide. And Hugo, part of the issue with this is always the knock-on effect. So there's only a finite amount of um, fridge vans, obviously, that the companies use on a continuous basis to move freight backwards and forwards. And today, uh, usually Gilberts have 35 fridge vans sitting in their yard in Adelaide being um, loaded, ready to come north uh, over the weekend to then um, fill our supermarket shelves by Monday morning. Uh, this morning uh, they advised me that they've only got seven uh, of those fridge vans available because they're on the road. It's taking two days each way to actually do the extra kilometres the long way around mm. at the moment because of the, the um, Stuart Highway being cut. So, yeah, they're going to make some really tough decisions about what freight comes up and what doesn't. And, and so, Louise, are you saying that a lot of our reserve trucks are now um, on the road and, and, and sort of caught up in this as well? Well, I mean, companies have a finite number of uh, prime movers. I mean, a, a fridge van, you know, is 300 $350,000 just for, for one fridge van. They're not, they're not um, items of equipment that you've just got parked down in the back of your yard. They're um, items that are being used continuously. And because of the, the uh, road being cut, you know, there's had to be a whole lot of work by uh, the companies to reschedule. Uh, the, the drivers are doing a phenomenal amount of, um, you know, work to actually, you know, stay safe and uh, get the um, you know the, the freight moved but it's it's a very different um, job that they're doing right now compared to what they usually do um, at doing line haul between Ad Adelaide and Darwin and you know the points along the way so you know it's it, it's a very different operation right at this moment to get freight into uh, Darwin Catherine Alice Springs and Tennant Creek is there is there an indication as to when uh, these trucks have started moving today will be able to uh, hit, you know, the likes of Alice Springs, Tennant Creek and Catherine? Well, if, if they're in, in um, you know, crossing the Territory border uh, as we speak, say at lunchtime on uh, Friday, they wouldn't be here in Darwin before, you know, lunchtime tomorrow. And, uh, you know, then it's a matter of, yeah, unloading that and, I mean, I'm just using Darwin as an example, but then it's unloading it in their warehouses and then getting it uh, to the um, the supermarkets. So, yeah, we've got a, you know a lot fewer um, trucks able to do what they're doing at the moment, and to get back to Adelaide and to to keep that um, momentum happening. Hopefully, the um, the road at Glendambo um, is passable. We're hearing rumours that it may be open to singles later today, but uh, I haven't actually had that confirmed as yet. From an industry standpoint, what do you want to see the government do here? Well, we understand and I know I've heard the South Australian Premier say it's a one in 200 year event, but what we need 
the federal government in particular to do is take note of the national highway network in remote Australia needing to have more focus on all weather and uh, that, you know, in improving flood immunity, improving the resiliency of our national highway network should be a priority. And road funding on the national highway network is 80% federally funded, 20% uh, you know, with the South Australia or, or Northern Territory governments. But it should be the aim of every Australian to see that our national highway networks are, um, yeah, flood proof. And, you know, it's just a simple, um, you know, request that those critical areas that do go under are uh, rectified. CEO of the NT Road Trains Association, Louise Blardo, chatting to me there. It is 17 minutes to one. You're listening to the Country Hour with me, Hugo, and it is great to have you with me because it really is all happening in the Territory. The shelves are noticeably bare in all the supermarkets around Alice Springs. And there's a flood warning now out for the Barclay and Centre. What will this mean for our freight companies desperately trying to deliver the goods and services to our towns? I spoke to Minister of Infrastructure, Eva Lawler, and asked her what the plans shortages across the NT. I spoke to Corey Wingard, who's my equivalent in South Australia. He absolutely understands the situation and the gravity of the situation for us around freight, uh, but also vehicle traffic. Uh, and um, as I said, very conscious of the need to prioritise uh, repairs to that. So um, yes, we're relying on the South Australian government to uh, get in there and as well ARTC to do uh, the repairs that are necessary. Um, but in the meantime, uh, we have trucks that are um, that have had to head round to through Queensland and the Mar the Barclay to to get into the territory. Now, some of these trucks have been held up in uh, Longreach for even mm. longer. Is there any? I guess are we starting to get to the stage where we will need a bit more of an emergency response? The shelves are very bare in Alice Springs. Yeah, so I mean, there is actually um, there is the critical goods and services group. So there is a group in the emergency operations centre in the Northern Territory, uh, through the Northern Territory government, that are absolutely monitoring the situation very closely. So my understanding is that Woolworths will have a truck in Alice Springs today, and also in Darwin with fresh fruit and veggies. Um, so that should you know alleviate the situation uh, to some extent. But hopefully we can continue to see um, movement of those trucks coming through Queen. Queensland. Uh, the other one is um, the, the heads up, the, up that I've been given is um, that Dipola and South Australian um, government, so through their infrastructure departments, they're looking at preparing plans to escort vehicle movement at low speed as soon as it's safe to do so um, through that area between uh, Glendambo and Pimba where the water is. So, I mean, obviously they're concerned about that road base. They don't want to damage the, work, the, you know, the road and then you know, end up with complications around uh, reopening and delaying that but there may be a way to you know take singles through uh, that escorted through slowly so um, you know that that won't uh, well hopefully uh, damage the road so um, absolutely it's um, you know it is a situation that's grave and difficult and the emergency operations centre are, are right onto it and monitoring it very closely. There's fears that uh, this will cause the price of uh, goods and services or fresh produce from Woolies and Coles to um, 
increased quite substantially. Do you have any thoughts on that? I hope that's not the case. Um, I think you know Territorians are very loyal to Woolworths and Coles, and um, uh, you know through thick and thin, we've you know whether it was during lockdowns, we've continued to you know um, provide lots of financial support to those um, to those suppliers. Um, I hope that they would not be um, increasing the cost of um, their products. Really, I think that wouldn't be a good thing to do for the public. As Minister of Infrastructure, has this exposed, I guess, how fragile the NT supply chain is? Should we be developing more alternate freight routes? No, I mean, we do have robust um, supply chains. Um, you know, it is unusual. I, I think the information coming out of South Australia said this is a once-in-a-lifetime flood for them. They have not seen the amount of rain in places like Andamooka than ever, ever before. So um, our supply chains are robust. Um, but, you know, occasionally, whether it doesn't matter where you are in the world, there'll be times where, you know, Mother Nature is vicious and um, that there is an impact from that. Um, so we do have to to then work around that. We have got, we're doing that. We are, as I said, making sure that those trucks are coming through. We'll see uh, trucks today uh, coming to the Territory. But I think that's part of being a resilient community is around how we manage um, things like this. Minister of Infrastructure, Eva Lawler there. And I better just tidy something up, a huge blunder by me. It's actually a flood watch, not a warning. Apologies for that. So it's a flood watch, across the Barclay and Centre, not a warning. Whew, well, seeing that it's 12 minutes to the top of the hour, 1 o'clock, I think it's time for a song, hey? We've got a request from Tamika Kunoff of Waite River Station, just out of Alice Springs. She says there's been a bit of rain, so naturally she wants to hear Rain by Dragon. Thanks, Tamika. Here you go. There we have it. Thank you very much, Tamika, from Waite River Station. What an excellent song choice. Now, we have a COVID update for you. There are now 105 people in hospital for COVID-19 in the Northern Territory, with 14 patients requiring oxygen and three in ICU. There were 940 new cases reported in the 24 hours to 8pm last night. That's the highest that's the highest daily total since the start of the pandemic. The Central Australian community of um Bloodwatch which has a very low vaccination rate will enter a 48-hour lockdown to allow health authorities to contain an outbreak there. The COVID-19 vaccine booster will also now become part of the NT's mandate. Here's a bit of what Chief Minister Michael Gunner had to say. And now we need to keep it working. As we flagged last year, the booster shot will become part of the Territory's mandatory vaccination policy for many workers. We haven't gone through all of this sacrifice in the past two years just to drop the pool now. Two doses of the vaccine has given tens of thousands of Territorians excellent protection against a severe illness. The booster shot makes sure the protection is stronger and lasts longer. Everyone over 18 is eligible to receive their booster. And soon, as Otagi gives the final approval, 16 and 17-year-olds will be eligible for a Pfizer booster. From Monday, the interval between getting your second jab and getting your booster will be reduced to three months. 
Chief Minister Michael Gunner. Just recapping, the COVID-19 vaccine booster will now also become part of the NT's mandate. For designated high-risk workplaces like hospital and aged care facilities, the deadline is the 11th of March. For other public uh, for other public-facing roles, the deadline is Friday the 22nd of April. You can watch the whole COVID update back on the ABC Alice Springs or ABC Darwin Facebook pages. Hello, my name is President Mary Allen and I'm from Samoa. I'm lo- I love mangoes, I love picking mangoes, I love to work here in Australia. You listen to uh, Gentry Hour. Well, production has begun at Australia's first ever organic granulated cattle manure factory. And the Queensland company says the demand is already outstripping supply. Grassdale Fertilisers has built its factory with a price tag of more than $10 million near Dalby at the site of the country's largest feedlot. Managing Director Brad Smith says the joint venture has the capacity to produce up to 120,000 tonnes of granulated fertiliser. So what we've tried to do is put the cow manure into a form that uh, your farmers can put out through their conventional equipment. You know, everyone's got air seeders and, and spreaders and this product is free-flowing and, and will process through all that sort of equipment. How much has to go on? Do you have those rates to hand? The interest from the growers has been from a number of different areas. Broadacre guys are looking at uh, putting it out with air seeders at anything from 50 to 200 kilos to the hectare down the slot into the soil profile and into the seed zone. So you're amending that area right around the seed. There are other people looking to broadcast it in tree crops. You know, that will be surface ripping where people are trying to break up the profile, deep rip down to 800 mil deep, and they're being recommended to put compost and amendments into the soil profile as they deep rip. And this is a perfect way to do that. And they're looking at anything from two to five tonne to the hectare as a total renovation for their soil. And so you've got plenty of the raw material, but what are the other additions? What are the other ingredients? So the base product is 100% cow manure. It's a high carbon source. We've got 31% organic carbon in the product. We don't add any other sources of material in there. There's no green wastes, which have potentially got contaminants. So it's all single source cow manure. And then we have um, in our range, we've got some other products where we add in gypsum, blood and bone, sulfate of potash, and we can move down the line and add in other ingredients as we go forward. But for the moment, we've got a starting range of three products. And granules are coming out of the factory as we speak. Tell me about the factory itself. What was the cost of it to build? Uh, the cost of the factory was substantial, you know, well over $10 million. And uh, it's um, it's a one of a kind. We've um, taken um, technology and equipment from a number of different sectors to put this together. And it is the first granulation plant for organics in Australia. What's its capacity? So the feedlot produces over 100,000 tonnes of manure a year. So if we take that 100,000 tonnes and make it into granules, that can produce about 75,000 tonnes. But once we add in ingredients, um, we can then take the capacity up to around 120,000 tonne a year would be the, the, the maximum. And so a big part of your costs in the raw material are taken care of because it's being supplied by Grassdale. But what is the cost of production like? 
there's a lot of energy required in the process. It needs big dryers to, to dry the product out to make sure we've got a good, stable product. So there, there is a, a substantial cost to the product. It's a lot more than, than just supplying uh, cow manure, but it's competitively priced, and particularly with the current fertiliser prices these days, um, it represents good value. We'll get to, to price competitiveness in a, in a second. And you're obviously supplying Morton Co's operations. How much other product will be available once that's been squared away? The Morton Co adding a component of their uh, fertiliser into as uh, sorry over to grass-style fertiliser products, that the product is, is good as a, a component of a synthetic program. So that the benefit of combining the granules in with other um, synthetic fertilisers is where the uh, you know, the big benefit will lie. It's not a total replacement for a, a synthetic program. If you're an organic farmer and there's not a, any other options available to you, it'll be a, a good source of nutrients. But the bulk of the benefit will come when it's applied with synthetic fertilisers. And how's it performed? What what tri- trial on Grassdale Farm? Conditions weren't perfect, and there were a few issues with the trial. But the end result showed that when we included a thirty-four percent organic component or Grassdale granules component to their standard program, um, that the results were um, the same as a fully synthetic program, if not slightly better, particularly in poor soil. So it performed very well. And are they the only trials you've done? Have you done any independent trialing of this product? No, at that stage, at this stage, that's the only trial we've done. Uh, we're only just coming into the uh, the production of the plant, and um, so there's only been very small quantities of granules available to this point. Which takes us to price, and of course, fertilizer of of any type is very expensive at the moment. So you've hit the market at the right time. How are you priced? Look, we're priced competitively with synthetics. As I said, it, it it's going to be perfect as a component of your synthetic program. Um, that's where you'll get the best bang for buck. It's early days and you said um, you've only just had uh, commissioning, but what's demand been like? The demand has been amazing. Um, we thought in areas like the Darling Downs where there's a lot of manure available that the demand would be limited, but there's even growers that have been using 10 tonnes of raw manure to the hectare that think the idea of a targeted application makes a lot of sense, a lot easier logistically. There's all the interest in carbon farming and sustainability has, has pushed the, uh, the interest. And then, of course, you've got the fertiliser prices skyrocketing. And uh, this has the, uh, the potential to improve the, the nutrient use efficiency when combined with synthetics. So that's another area that's been creating a lot of interest. Grassdale Fertilisers, Brad Smith. It's one o'clock. See you in a bit. G'day, I'm Samantha Trott. I'm uh, Secretary and Fire Warden from Dundee Volunteer Bushfire Brigade. My husband is the captain, he's also a warden. And uh, we're both retired, but um, we've never been busier. And you're listening to The Country Hour. Welcome back to the second half of The Country Hour. Still plenty to come this next half hour. If you're a woman in agriculture and $15,000 would be handy to you, we'll tell you about an award you can enter. Last year's winner reckons the money is good, but working with the other women is even better. It's such like a beautiful network and beautiful environment of women helping each other and mentoring each other um, to take your ideas to the next level. Stay tuned for that story coming up. And now before we go to the weather room... 
Power and Water Corporation have just announced that there is a power interruption affecting customers in the Amoongana, Umberera, Brewer, Coelan, Hale, Hermansburg, Hugh, Ilpapa, Kilgariff, Rocky Hill, Row Creek, Ross, Saturdine, Santa Teresa and Wallace Rockhole in Alice Springs. And they have said they have a team on the way. So if you're wondering why there's a power interruption in those areas, there you have it. They're on their way. Now, let's get the latest from the Bureau of Meteorology. Steve Schubert spoke to the duty forecaster, Billy Lynch, and asked him about the 61 mils of rain that was recorded at Tennant Creek Airport in the 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning. Yeah, there was some storm activity um, across Tennant Creek uh, yesterday evening, continuing into the morning. Um, So... It wasn't like super heavy. I think the most we had was about 28 millimetres over a sort of a couple of hours, um, but it has accumulated to a pretty good total. So, yeah, 61 at Tennant Creek. And as you know, we don't have too many gauges through the Barclay, but um, yes, the other, I guess the other one we've got just over the border at Camerwheel has also picked up 73 millimetres. Right. And yet, in the uh, brunette Alexandria gauges, nothing. <laughs> so good and p- patchy storms. Uh, yeah, look, it's always the way with um, the thunderstorms that bring the rain is um, they're never widespread. So there's yeah. always some winners and losers, but um, yeah. it's good to see Tennant Creek have a win. And looking further south, Glen Helen in the West Max, 30 mils, but not too far away, Hermansburg and Daria only had 12 mils. So uh, more patchy rain for Central Australia. What can we expect for the rest of today in the top end and the centre? Yeah, well, I mean, the the main focus will be across the Barclay. Um, There's quite a widespread area of cloud there, um, which is all being sort of wrapped in to the, the monsoon trough. Um, and a weak monsoon low also developing over the Barclay at the moment. So uh, it's going to be cool and cloudy. It's currently only 23 degrees at Tennant Creek. Um, We're seeing a few embedded storms over that region. Um, And generally, yeah, across central parts of the Territory, uh, expecting more of those slow-moving thunderstorms. So... Again, today we could see some falls of around 30 to 60 millimetres. And then if you're really lucky under a thunderstorm, you could get up to 100 millimetres, I think. Billy, you're forecasting a rainy weekend here in Alice Springs. Look, I'm looking forward to it, but that was the forecast for last weekend as well and not much fell. So is it going to be different this time, Billy? Um, Is it going to be different? Look, it's what it's going to be, it's going to be humid. Um, and it's going to be unsettled. So we're going to see those showers and thunderstorms. Um, yes, you were unlucky last weekend, and I, I apologise for that. <laughs> Look, I, I don't hold you personally responsible, Billy, but uh, I was looking forward to it. So, But I mean, that's the nature of these patchy storms, right? They could pass 2Ks away from my house, and ha- I could get absolutely nothing. Yeah, I mean, we really just don't have the forecast skill to sort of pinpoint you know, suburb by suburb, but um, 
but but we we do know that the um the ingredients are there that there will be showers and thunderstorms um in the Alice Springs region today and and into the weekend um and in fact right across southern NT um so showers and thunderstorms are on the forecast and I, and I cross my fingers for you that you get what you want <laughs> thank you and just quickly the monsoon's getting stronger yeah so um as i mentioned the monsoon trough sitting across the barkley uh, expecting a monsoon low to, to develop and deepen as it tracks towards the Kimberley and that weather system is going to help drive um, the monsoon and, and cause it to increase across the top end. So we're seeing a few monsoonal showers move on to the west coast today. Um, they're going to increase in frequency over the weekend and perhaps become um, a bit squally too. So those wind gusts will increase as well. And I should just add, we do have a strong wind warning um, for the, the west coast of the top end tomorrow too. You know I'm from the Bureau. That was Billy Lynch chatting to Steve Schubert. My name's Brett Gill. Uh, my wife Suzanne and I farm and have cattle on Mullalungui in the Douglas Daly area, the top end. You're listening to the Country Hour. Well, after hitting an absolute skyrocketing record last week, the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator dropped 6% yesterday. The Eki plunged 71 cents after reaching a sky high 1,191 cents per kilo carcass weight on Monday. Ali Felton-Taylor looked into what happened. You know the old saying, what goes up must come down. And it's a correction in the cattle price that many have been predicting, including analyst Simon Quilty. So you do the sums there, and if you've dropped, you know, the throughput through sale yards by only 10%, but through meatworks by 40%, you're going to end up with an oversupply situation and a correction in prices. Delving into the figures based on MLA's Eki itself, we saw the indicator hit its highest level ever at the beginning of this week, but it finished the week 71 cents down to 1,188 cents per kilogram's carcass weight. MLA reports much of it can be put down to smaller numbers of cattle into sale yards. Throughput has fallen from well above 10,000 to 8,500 head. Market Information Manager Steve Bignall explains the Australia Day holiday meant no sale at Dolby on Queensland's Western Downs. It's Australia's second largest cattle selling centre. So there's been some big sale yards drop out of the indicator this week. Dolby was averaging 1,178 cents and, and contributed 20% to the Eki, and, and that's not in there this week. That, of course, because of Australia Day. What about the yarding at Roma? Was that different? So, so yardings at Roma were down from well over 3,000, now sitting at uh, 2,875. So smaller ro- uh, yarding at Roma. And the average price at Roma was above $13 last week. Now it's at 1,141, so $160 fall at Roma. Also this week there's been an awful lot of rain around parts of Queensland. Surely mud means money. Start of the year is an interesting one. Um, you know, it takes a few weeks for some yards to get going. Sometimes those processes are um, shut down, still happening. So it is always an interesting time of the year, not necessarily always a dip or a rise. What we have seen, um, and which was we, we saw a rise at the start of the year. So we, we also got, so we got to 1,191 at the start of this week, but we did start it. It sort of did jump 
quite a bit at the start of the year. It was down at 1,151 last week, so it's jumped 40 cents last week on the rain, and it's sort of just come down a little bit below that. So we do have to take in, into consideration that it did jump last week on the back of rain. And what has been a big contributor to the fall is restockers are only making up 37% of buyers, with feeders making up 56% of buyers. We go back last week and they were both around the 46% mark. So restockers who are paying, were, were paying a $2 premium last week and are now only paying a $0.120 cent premium, uh, they've sort of exited the market this week. The correction is something that analyst Simon Quilty has predicted, but he says he believes it'll be cows and heavy grass-fed types that will see the biggest discounts. And the reason is because these two categories have been market losers now for a good 18 months. I think the lighter steers, though, will be the softer fall, and that is because grain-fed demand is exceptional globally, and that ongoing demand, I think, for quality grain-fed animals, and in particular with the US starting to pull back on production, will see good demand out of Australia. So the lighter animals such as feeder steers, dealers, backgrounders, I think will all be a softer landing or fall, but nothing like what we'll see in that grass-fed category. And bolstered, um, no doubt, by the fact, especially here in Queensland, by the rainfall, mud means money, so there'll perhaps be some restockers entering the market after having a little assessment of what what grass they have, what feed they have. That is 100% right, Ali. You know, green fever is alive and well. But let's not lose sight of what happened back in 2012, where the rain continued through this part of the rebuild all the way through to March. But in that rebuild, prices peaked in February. So let's not discount the fact that we could have a repeat whereby the rain continues through February and March, and yet the peak in pricing is probably right here and now, if not in the next week, on those lighter cattle. But while ever, Mr Quilty says prices will fall, it'll remain far above the long-term average because he says strong global demand will underpin the market. So this correction, I see it as a soft landing that the low expected in 2024 is one that every producer in this country will be truly delighted with because it will not be like any other previous correction because I expect global meat prices to continue to be firm for this year and next year and probably to the year after. So soft landing, you know, increased cattle numbers will see a fall in pricing, but it will be a soft landing. Back out to the paddock in central western Queensland grazier and livestock agent Boyd Curran says it's about time prices hit above the long-term average. Overall, I think we're in for some pretty exciting times in the agricultural industry in Australia. And, and, and it's, a, it's about time too, because people have invested a lot of money in agriculture and they're at the whims and the mercy of, uh, of the weather gods. And uh, the reality is we take a big risk in our investments in, in taking or being part of the agricultural industry. So when we are doing well like this, this is, this is I think, what people in the bush deserve, to have these good prices. Boyd Curran near, uh, from Talleyrand near Longreach in Queensland. He's a grazier and livestock agent speaking with Ali Felton-Taylor. Now I think it's about time for another tune. Despite the fact it, well, no one knows when we will eventually get over there. 
I have heard there's still good light in Broome. So here we go, Neil Murray. I was hanging out in Sydney. Just like I heard there's good light in Broome. Oh, good light in Broome. I don't know about you guys, but listening to that song, I feel like an aluminium mango and kick of the footy on the beach, I reckon. NRL ball, of course. Now, while many kids who grow up on the land know they'll have to one day go away to boarding school, the transition to the city isn't always an easy one. Witnessing the homesickness of girls at boarding school has inspired secondary teacher and current student wellbeing coordinator at the Brisbane Girls' School, St Margaret's, to study the topic for her thesis. But Hannah Kalinko says bush kids also with lots of skills. Yeah, so the good news is that a number of different studies show that bush kids are typically more resilient than um, their city peers. Um, and they're also typically more academically buoyant. So academically, academically buoyant just means that they can cope with the stresses of school and potentially the fluctuation in grades um, and school achievement better. And they usually are able to come back from it easier than students in urban areas, um, which is a really great testament to the sort of kids that we're raising in rural Australia. Um, so the recommendations from my thesis, I provided some recommendations for boarding schools and boarding professionals um, or those working within a boarding school, whether it be in the boarding house or the day school, um, and then also for uh, boarding parents. So um, both both recommendations talked about finding and um, creating a strong sense of community and place identity for uh, new students. So um, place identity just refers to the um, having a sense of belonging in a certain area. And so rural kids are typically coming from quite close-knit communities, whether that be working on a station with mum and dad and um, you know, their small group of staff or their siblings or just coming from rural, small rural towns. Um, so they can struggle with then moving to a new environment that is obviously physically very different, um, but is also the composition of that environment and the community is also quite different. So would more access to home, you know, more long weekends, etc., help in any way or does, is that a hindrance? Um, I think there's a, it's a very fine line and it's obviously also very, um, it depends on the individual yes. as well uh, between whether, you know, the parents are down every second weekend taking their child on leave or whether they're coming down once a term. But having something to look forward to is really important. Um, our boarders are really lucky at school that we have a day girl border weekend. So it's run over a public holiday weekend and then we also give them a student free day and um, boarders, they've got four days off and boarders are encouraged to take their day girlfriends home and it is the highlight on the calendar for so many because they not only get to take their friends home and you know show off where they come from but they it provides a day students an understanding of where their classmates are coming from um, and it is it's a step in bridging the rural urban divide because it's providing these um, kids who have grown up in urban areas and potentially have never seen you know livestock up close or really understand where their food comes from um, and avenue into having a better understanding of that producer and consumer relationship. 
How does mobile phones contribute or uh, help in terms of a transition process? There's a lot more access to mum and dad uh, through mobile phones now. Uh, Of course, in our day, it was only a phone call home on Sunday or even not too long ago, a letter home once a week. Mm. Has it helped or uh, complicated the situation? Um, I think I think there's no perfect formula. Technology no. is such a blessing that communication is valuable because it is there is FaceTime and all that sort of stuff. But having clear boundaries, um, one of my recommendations to boarding parents that I work with is that they put parental locks on their child's phones and screen limits and screen times. Um, and that not only safeguards their child or stops over communication with the child, but also safeguards them from social media and doesn't create unhealthy habits around that. And um, we all know of the dangers of cyber safety, but then also just cyber bullying. And so by putting those controls in place, I think it's really important, irrespective of what age your child is um, at boarding school, to have those in place because they're if they're not on their phone, they're going to create more meaningful connections and they're going to build that stronger sense of place identity and that community. Hannah Kalinko speaking with Amy Phillips there. Now, if you're a woman involved in agriculture and could use 15 grand for your business, an idea, or to go and learn something new, then you need to get your skates on because the entries for the 2022 Agri-Futures Rural Women's Award closes today. If you're lucky enough to go on and win the national award, another $20,000 could be yours. Amy Kirk was the Territory's finalist in last year's awards and says it's been a great experience. I would encourage anyone who's sitting on the fence today about putting an application in to just do it um, and put it in. Um, I think especially in the Northern Territory, their process for me was actually very lovely and really nice. And you meet all these amazing people on the way, like the people that organise it up here that are in charge of looking after you and you get to meet the finalists as well, so the other finalists with you, if you get through that interview stage into the top three. Um, it's such like a beautiful network and beautiful environment of women helping each other and mentoring each other um, to take your ideas to the next level. And even the whole process, like I ended up with a buddy. So throughout the whole process, my buddy, her name was Alex Thomas. She's one of the previous SA winners, um, helped me through and like mentored me. So you end up even... If, if your project doesn't succeed or it isn't the national winner overall, you still end up with an idea that that goes from a starting point to an end point or moves along a way that you might be happy with. And you get all of this amazing support and mentorship and experience from other women and from agri-futures along the way. So it was such a worthwhile experience for me. What has winning this award allowed you to do in your work? Uh, Yeah, so my idea, I'm a PhD student full-time and a part-time advocate for science outreach in remote communities. So um, the process has changed this year where um, the award is for established businesses, um, whereas in in the year that I won, it was more, it could go more towards ideas as well. So I started a pilot program um, that, was aimed at increasing science outreach in rural and remote communities. And I used the bursary to travel to those remote communities around the Northern Territory and run 
um, introductory science outreach programs or fun science outreach programs that were relevant to those communities uh, in the space of resource management of fishery because my background in marine biology um, is in fishery science at the moment. So it sounds like winning this award has had a pretty big impact on your life. The experience was so rewarding, being able to meet and appreciate so many amazing women from different backgrounds and to learn the amazing things that they're doing in their communities. And if you're a woman who feels like you want to do that in your own space, in your own community, then this award is for you. That was Amy Kirk, last year's Territory finalist for the AgriFutures Women's Award. If you search the NT Rural Women's Award on the web, you should be able to find the details. That's it for the Country Hour this week. Maddie Brand back behind the wheels on Monday.